Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris DeMuth. It is Tuesday, September 6th, and today we're going to talk about iPhones, uh, Apple's iPhone launch and some of their recent tax issues, and then we're going to discuss the returns from the sell in May and go away strategy, plus a bit on the market's outlook going forward. Uh, so Chris, Apple, iPhone 7 is going to get announced tomorrow. iPhone launches are probably the most widely covered product launches in history at this point. We'll also probably see a new model of the Apple Watch and MacBook. But uh, what are you expecting from tomorrow's event? Are you disappointed, expecting anything revolutionary? What do you think? Not much. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, companies really can cultivate the kind of investor and followers that they want or that they deserve. Uh, Buffett famously cultivates long-term investors for Berkshire, which is very strategic because when there are short-term problems, he can say, I told you guys to think about the long-term. Apple has really cultivated a following of fanboys that are kind of revolution junkies. They're mm-hmm. looking for something revolutionary. Sometimes it's just time to bring out something evolutionary, but that is not too strategic. It leaves tons of scope to be disappointed, which I expect tomorrow. Yeah, so at this point, you know, these things are widely covered and we pretty much know what we're going to get. The only big change it looks like to the iPhone is going to be getting rid of the headphone jack, going to the lightning cord for headphones. But, you know, this is what happens with products. The first model of the iPhone was completely revolutionary, completely revolutionized the cell phone industry. And then everything after that, there's just not that much innovation to be done in the in the iphone slash smartphone itself so you can't see a lot of change uh you know it, apple has been ramping up their r&d efforts recently uh, a lot of people are saying that hey maybe it's not a big one this year maybe they're breaking from it used to be even years they gave a big update odd years they just gave a small update maybe next year they'll come out with a super slim phone or something but you know at this point it just doesn't seem like there's much more to do Uh, Go ahead. A phone can only be so small and still fit in your hand. It can only be so fast once it's faster than the human capability to keep up with whatever's faster. The, 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 The coverage can only be so great. There's only so many variables until it becomes biometric and is kind of inserted with a poison dart into your head or something. You know, it's... uh, it, it's done much of what it can do. You know, it seems like like PCs were just getting perfected right around the time uh, kind of smartphones came out. And that smartphones are kind of getting perfected now. The next evolutionary thing is probably not going to be a smartphone. It's probably going to be something dramatically new. You know, ho- HoloLens vision or something. So go ahead. What, one of my favorite uh, thoughts about consumption equality, you know, we have greater and greater income inequality, but we have greater and greater consumption equality, is the free phones that come with prepaid services at Walmart are better than first generation iPhones. So the kind of rich guy cool toy from five minutes ago is now free at Walmart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, but so I think that pretty much covers the iPhone launch, but I think the piece of news that we find more interesting is Apple's battle with the EU over taxes. And so what happened is, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, the EU ruled that Apple needed to pay Ireland $14.5 billion in back taxes dating back to 1991. And this is really interesting because Apple doesn't want to pay the taxes, and Ireland actually says we don't want to collect the taxes, and the U.S. also has said we don't want Apple to pay those taxes. So why is the EU forcing Apple to pay taxes that no one wants them to pay? Go ahead. I've never gotten sued by a government, but if I ever do, I hope it's uh, under the theory that I should get $14 billion if I lose (laughs) the suit. 
Um, I should say uh, mea culpa. I was wrong at the first kind of my first uh, whack at reacting to this, which is I'm against crony capitalism. They got a special deal. They're getting what's coming to them. Um, and, and I really have reflected on that. That was just wrong. I, I've looked more deeply at what the EU did. And I think the EU is responding to what they consider, in scare quotes, a race to the bottom or tax competition, which to regulators is a terrible term for comparative advantage and competition. Voting with your feet's really the most effective way to vote. Sometimes it's the only vote that matters. And if companies prefer uh, operating in a charming company that charges them 12.5%, or in Apple's case, somewhat less, over uh, other countries in the EU that charge between 30 and 40%, that's their right. Yeah, so let me give a little bit more background here. So in the early 90s, Apple built a manufacturing plant in Ireland. And what Apple did is they say, hey, Ireland, we'd love to build a manufacturing plant here, but we can build a manufacturing plant anywhere in the world we want. Uh, you know, if we build a manufacturing plant here, we're happy to pay taxes on the manufacturing profits we make. But, you know, our, at the time they were only making computers, but computers are high margin, a lot of intellectual property. All the intellectual property resides in the U.S. We don't want to pay Irish taxes on our intellectual property. Ireland said, great. And what happened is, you know, Apple became this huge behemoth and they had uh, all the intellectual property for the iPhone. And what they're saying here is, we're paying Ireland the taxes on the manufacturing profits, but we allocate all the intellectual property offshore, which is the vast majority of the profit in iPhone. And Ireland doesn't collect a tax on that. And the EU is forcing Ireland to collect and Apple to pay. Go ahead. I think this really speaks to what people mean by the idea of fairness. I would say that Apple followed all the rules precisely in place in Ireland at the time. And this retroactive tax is a shakedown. It's taking the idea of fairness and say, well, it's fair based on following the rules, but it's not fair based on how good it worked out for you. So we're going to push our hand onto these scales, uh, kind of, it's not the outcome we wanted, even if it was following the rules. You know, this deal is very similar to, you know, uh, GE was headquartered in Connecticut and then uh, Florida offered them huge tax breaks, or was it Florida or Boston? I can't remember. Massachusetts. Massachusetts uh, offered them huge tax break so they move cities and you see large companies do this all the time you give us a big tax break we'll move our headquarters and bring you jobs and this would be akin to the u.s almost coming to ge and saying no you can't move to boston you need to continue to pay your taxes to uh you need to continue to pay taxes to connecticut except in this case it would almost be like canada came in and said hey you guys can't do that continue to pay your taxes to uh massachusetts go ahead exactly i would just say the eu is overstepping our sovereignty i mean one of the keys to sovereignty is how you when you and how much revenue you collect uh and that the best way when you're worried about compliance when you're worrying about people paying their taxes the best trick for high compliance is low tax. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, if tax rates right now are actually, why don't we just go to the U.S. tax tax system here? The U.S. released a statement that said the EU is trying to become a supranational tax authority that is unfairly targeting uh, American companies, mm-hmm. and I think Facebook, Google, and maybe Amazon are also facing similar issues yep. here. Uh, and I think. A, I think the U.S. is right that the EU is targeting American companies. But B, this is a product of kind of a Byzantine, super complex, high corporate tax rate U.S. system. And I'll let you dive into that a little bit. I I just think it's it's a big factor. You know, one of the reasons why the U.S. has been really masterful in tech 
is a lot of these companies kind of jumped out ahead of the regulators. It's not that the regulators didn't want to closely monitor the internet and regulate these products. They're just not good enough to. I mean, in the case, if you look at the Apple phone uh, as it related to the San Bernardino attack, even our spies are behind technologically, Mm -hmm. haven't figured out how to crack some guy's uh, uh, pin code. Uh, if you look at uh, sorry, no, 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 you go ahead. Go ahead. Um, if you look at the environment that tech companies do well in, it, not only is it is it getting out in front of the regulators, but it is really a horizontal and spontaneously organized society. It's mm-hmm. groups that come and go. It's fluid. Even the corporate structures aren't that solid. Each of these companies have skunk works within them, so that people who are kind of dynamic and creative can work in the environment that's optimized to them. The opposite of that is Brussels. The opposite of that is a vertical centrally organized plotting society and they're just reaching out and trying to go after these companies that they don't like yep yep and i, I just want to i agree with all that i just want to hit on what how this shows why the u.s tax system is so crazy the reason apple is not paying taxes and all these profits is because uh apple allocates all its ip profits to california the united states but then it never brings them uh, home because the u.s has a 35 percent tax rate on any cash that's brought home as long as you keep it keep it overseas it never taxes that cash so apple's been paying such a low tax rate because they keep all that cash overseas the reason the u.s is protesting this eu decision is they want they don't want apple to pay that tax because they want apple to bring that home eventually and pay those taxes creates huge moral hazard with the u.s putting in a tax holiday every decade or so to get people to bring back tax uh bring that cash back at a discounted rate i think everyone agrees we need a senior corporate tax code unfortunately it doesn't appear that's coming anytime soon go ahead yeah you know you look at all these players here and think about uh what they could do you know ireland could think about erexit uh the new prime minister in britain may could think about inviting tim cook to tea see if they could work out something uh and apple really can just delay an appeal they could delay this for half a decade and frankly if you look at the end apple's just building up this bigger and bigger war chest you know maybe they just buy the eu if the eu uh, out of uh out of some kind of foreclosure or uh, bankruptcy (laughs) process i think Uh, apple could easily outlive the eu i'm going to take the last word i think the your thought was interesting on england calling and saying hey apple like we're the brexit could be a huge thing if if the eu wants to continue to overregulate things like this the brexit could be huge because if they're out of the eu they can call all these companies and say hey come over here we'll adopt the same tax code you bring us some jobs and it'll be great for them i'm going to take the last word there let's go to sell in may and go away so there's the popular saying, sell a man, go away. Why is it popular? Because it's really catchy. It rhymes. It Similar rhymes. to how fang stocks are catchy. Uh, but you know, if you sold in May this year, uh, it, didn't, it actually didn't work out that well for you. The S&P 500 was up about 5.6%. And despite all the talk you hear from all the talking heads and people who are missing their earnings of how volatile markets are, the marketables were actually remarkably unvolatile. The VIX dropped from 15, which is already a super low rate, to about $12 today, to about 12% today. And that's closing in on record low levels of volatility. So, uh, Chris, as people come back from summer vacation, uh, let's talk about where you're seeing opportunities with volatility this low. Markets continue to kind of make record highs. How are you thinking? I am anti-sell in May, pro go away. So I kind of am a moderate on this summertime issue. Uh, But what do we do uh, now? Uh, A couple issues. One is we always look at 
value investors think about buy 50 for 50 cents a dollar uh i as an event driven guy i'm also interested in getting that getting my freaking dollar back i would say that the getting the dollar back the kind of hard catalyst type of merger arb in those situations much more appealing to me if we're not fully hedged cash situations uh, uh even the ones that i'm less gravitating towards generally the the ones that are even considered conventionally safe that sometimes are more stable uh, i'm taking more of a look at than uh, than i would or if we own them as pre-arbs hanging on as arbs more than i normally would and really pushing uh away from uh, uh taking of the short positions in volatility that I have an attitudinal attachment to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I think all that's right. You know, catalysts are very important in markets that are kind of uh, very, what's the word? Very, it feels safe, but they're dangerous. I don't know. But uh, I, I think that's exactly right. Go ahead. The, the, the uh, analogy I have is if you're heading off on some outdoor adventure, dressing and packing for the weather instead of for the climate. It yep. feels safe and careful in the very precise situation you're in. But as soon as the market changes 10 or 20 percent, which it does all the time, then you're screwed. You know, so it gives you this kind of false sense of comfort. Yeah. Right now you have this market that just it seems to gradually tick up every couple of days and there's no volatility. And now is the time to be preparing for a market that drops substantially and has a lot of volatility because when everybody's used to no volatility, it's cheap to buy volatility. Uh, You know, we discussed this a bit on our bearish uh, billionaires podcast, but markets are on the more expensive side of historical rates. Uh, when the VIX gets this low, it's generally a sign of trouble. I spent some time looking at this. Uh, the last time it was this low was two, 2005, 2006, you know, and that was right before the global financial crisis started. I don't think we're saying that, but I do think we're saying uh, markets are, they're on the expensive side and they're not really pricing in any downside protection. Uh, you know, one place a lot of people look for a lot of downside protection is defensive sectors, but those have those have really had a big run, and I don't think that's a great place to look. I'll let you take uh, that. Don't don't look at your daily P and L to inform you as to how much risk you have. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, utilities are up thirteen percent, consumer staples up eleven percent, telecom up nine percent over the past year. That's substantially beating the market. I think that's driven by the hunt for yield and super low interest rates spurring consolidation in those sectors. I think those are the areas where you don't want to look. You probably want to go look at the beaten down, uh, more fearful names, and that's generally where we tend to look anywhere. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that uh, kind of one off kind of opportunities where there's something quirky going on uh you know for cash accounts uh interest rates are very low so looking at quirky things in terms of kind of you know sign up bonuses are very interesting on deposit accounts right now they might be half or a full year's interest rate just to come in and out of an account analogously in equities you might not have a big uh return on that uh, in terms of the fundamental value, but again, quirky opportunities become more interesting to me uh, in such environments. Yeah, especially things like uh, I think we mentioned this a little bit. Like LinkedIn is something that's a very safe merger yeah. arbitrage spread. You know, it's five or six percent annualized. And before the shareholder vote, there was a chance that uh, Salesforce would come in and outbid Microsoft. They had e- even published some letters to LinkedIn that said, "We don't like how you portrayed our process in your uh, merger arbitrage in your merger documents. We would have paid more." 
more. Something like that where you get 5 or 6% that's pretty safe plus some upside. I think that makes a lot of sense in today's environment. Go ahead. It's the kind of thing that in, in the past I might have pitched in this environment I held on to. Yeah, and, and 5 or 6% annualized. I, I think Bill Gross was on TV the other day saying like he was playing the LinkedIn uh, ARB spread as a yield play. It's like... When bond guys start playing merger arm, that's where the hairs on the back of your neck should stand up. But at the same time, that that is one that we do like. I'll let you have the last word if you want to say anything. I, I generally am very concerned when you have outside people who are not specifically locally expert yeah. come in. In this case, coincidentally, perhaps I think he's exactly right. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the old when taxi cab drivers start giving you stock tips. That's the time to get out of the stock market. Exactly. When bond yield guys start advertising merger arbitrage for yield plays, that's the time to get out. But hopefully, that one's going to be okay uh so i think that's the last word for today that's all the time we have before we hit our disclosures just a reminder uh if you like this podcast the best way to get more is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening our subscriber numbers really encourage us to continue doing this podcast disclosures chris i think we both mentioned linkedin which we both own a little bit of and i think that's it i think so great we should talk to you guys tomorrow have a good one